I was very, very sick at 19. So I was in second year of university. I, uh, you know, finished, I guess it was second year of engineering. And that summer I got very sick and I ended up being paralyzed from the neck down. Hashim Mitha is a seasoned entrepreneur and the CEO of Mitami Innovations. The focus that we have on our phones. Mm. Everywhere you go, somebody's looking at a screen. And the CEO of Mitami Innovations, a groundbreaking platform designed to empower wealth management advisors. You have now built the tools that can guide you for the rest of your life. It's inevitable. As you get older, something catastrophic is going to happen in your life. Before we let the stories of the past shape your future, it would mean the world to me if you could follow us or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us. Enjoy the conversation. So, without any further ado, Brandon, let the stories of the past shape your future on the Quoting Life Podcast. The first questions we'd like to ask people is sort of their humbling beginnings, but the reason we like to do so is this podcast was based on the idea of sharing somebody's story. And if you can imagine somebody's story, it typically starts with like the, the introduction and then you have the rising point, a climax, and then sort of how things happen now. And so if we could picture this time as a snapshot of your story, what would be those that initial moments, that introduction? What would it be about? What do I need to know about your story from the very early beginning? <laughs> From the very early beginning, that's a that's a good question. Um, the starting point for me actually was the first job I had out of university. So I got my degree in mechanical engineering from UBC, and uh, had focused on biomedical engineering. And so through school, I was working at VGH, uh, implementing the use of robotics into surgery, uh, and some really amazing projects. When I graduated, there weren't any jobs in, in biomedical in Vancouver. And I ended up working for a company called Norpac Controls, which supplied equipment to the pulp and paper industry. And it's something that I had no interest in at all from an industry perspective. But the CEO of that company, a fellow named Andy Zox, was absolutely amazing. He ran an incredibly uh, efficient operation uh, and at that time, their primary product line uh, probably had about 70% market share. And so it was literally technical sales, um, engineering work, but it was never, it wasn't required that you had to go out and get business. It was just coming to us. And Andy realized that true value isn't in the product that you sell, it's in the value that you provide. And he created a program called Total Customer Commitment, which truly is about becoming that ultimate resource for your customer to deliver whatever they need in order for them to build their business. And if you can get to that point of trust with your customer, it opens a massive opportunity for you. So I learned really early on in my career, the value proposition to your client is critical in the building of any business. And so that just intrigued me into the world of, of being an entrepreneur. Um, for me, it started off, uh, I left Norpac and a friend of mine kept complaining. He used to ride his bike to, to work and he would complain that his seat and wheels would get stolen. 
Like he'd lock up his bike, but he'd come back at the end of the day and the seat's been taken, right? Because they're they're using quick release, right? So I invented a set of locking skewers for a bike that could secure your seat and wheels to the frame of your bike and easily be able to adjust as you needed, but it would prevent somebody from stealing them. And that process of engineering, design, prototyping, manufacturing, and then I, I patented that, and then I sold my patent. And that really intrigued me into the world of the commercialization of technologies. And that's where it all started for me. Interesting. So from what I'm getting uh, from you is, I was listening to the podcast the other day, and they were talking about the different types of entrepreneurs there are. And it seems from what you're telling me is that you're the type of entrepreneur, very much like an engineer. You see a problem and you want to fix it. Am I correct on that? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm fascinated by new technologies. I'm fascinated by new business models. Um, I mean, the, the project I'm doing right now at, at Meet Amy Innovations, we recognize, we got into the world of blockchain and crypto about six or seven years ago. And we recognized that there was a massive gap in the market specifically for wealth management advisors and enabling them to invest on behalf of their clients. We're building technologies that have never been built before. We're delivering a learning solution to the market that is the only one of its kind in North America. This stuff's brand new and we're battling uh, every day. We're challenged with technical issues, uh, business models, client adoption, it's a fascinating space to be, but even last year we ended up winning the, uh, the award in, in BC through the BC technology innovation association, um, for the most innovative company in the province. Yeah. I know, um, uh, right now it's a changing time in the world of AI, a lot of deep fake stuff, a lot of, um, people don't know what's authentic anymore or what's AI generated. And I right. think, blockchain can play a big deal into it do you see blockchain technology kind of authenticating pictures in the future making sure everything is authentic and not generated by a machine per se because i was just um, talking about that with brandon the the other day but i don't know if uh, you would have seen hosh uh, there was a fake image that was released of the pentagon exploding and the stock right. market crash and right. me and Brandon, we were talking about it. it. Was like, well, how do you solve this issue? Well, maybe through blockchain, if there's a way to authenticate that image, right? Well, through through some through an NFT, you could. Um, but it's I don't think the application of blockchain can happen fast enough in order mm -hmm. to solve that specific problem. Like somebody can create an image and publish that instantly um, without any authentication requirements and we've moved into a world where anybody can publish and that makes it very very difficult um blockchain technologies i don't think are are specifically applicable to that instance but where it, it is really interesting is in uh for instance gaming you can have product placement within games and authenticate that that's actually the coca-cola logo and it's attached to an NFT that enables them to get paid for the use of their brand or their product within a game. Um, but I think overall AI is going to make a massive 
difference in the efficiencies of so many different industries. We use AI for coding. Um, I've got clients, because uh, our clients are, are banks, they've got platforms that are built on COBOL. There's probably six people left in Canada that can program COBOL. Like it's, it's a very, very old program, but these uh, platforms have been around for 30 years. So the ability to take COBOL code, leverage AI to convert that into something else, Python or whatever, make your changes and then put it back into Cobalt and apply it is incredibly valuable. We're seeing anywhere from 2x to 10x improvements in efficiencies on our, our dev team because of the use of AI. Mm. That's, yeah, that's quite formidable. Um, even at work, I'm seeing like how AI is being used to accomplish even like the simpler tasks, but also more complicated ones. And it's definitely um, quite fascinating how it's so much of a time saver. But also what I'm wondering is your view on, do you think there's any big costs that are going unnoticed with the implementation of AI, even within your company? I don't know, do you see it hurting even human relationships, maybe. So that's really the responsibility of the uh, the executive team of a firm to ensure that the culture remains what it is that you started off with, right? And not let AI really impact that in a in a significant way. We're using AI tools to to drive efficiency. That does require uh, a very steep learning curve for our developers. Uh, even on the content side of our company, we're, we're leveraging AI for the development of learning content. If you have the right leadership within your organization, it, it won't make a big impact to the culture, but you do have to balance that very, very carefully. And I, I think it's amazing on the learning side, um, the number of students that are using AI to write their papers. And I'm pretty sure my daughter got straight A's because of AI. <laughs> um, and then and then I find it fascinating that you know you'll have AI write it for you and then you put it through a series of other applications to to manipulate the content that was written so that it doesn't sound like it was written by AI right mm, I just yeah. think it's absolutely incredible but my belief at the end of the day is AI is not going to replace people it's going to replace people who don't learn how to use AI Mm. That's a really so good going point. into adaptability. Absolutely. The the whole world is is evolving so quickly. Like so people in my generation still don't understand that the entire world's public information and data is in the palm of your hand. So you'll have an 11-year-old that has access to all the world's public information. They don't need to know who the third prime minister of Canada was. They'll just look it up on their phone. So hmm. instead yeah. of teaching kids, you know, the first five prime ministers, why don't we teach them what they actually did and why they were relevant and what impact they made? So it's a different way of learning because data is available to everybody all the time. I'm curious because I know you took 10 years off to be with your kids and I'm sure that was an opportunity for you to teach them a lot of things. I'm wondering what are those fundamental things you teach your kids, whether it's in terms of values or just 
life lessons. So all three of my kids played very, very high level of soccer. And I used to coach them. And when they got to, uh, I guess, 12 or 13 years old, they went to um, the higher leagues and had professional coaching. And so their coaches used to give them like 15 things to think about on the field. And and I was like, there's no way that a kid this age is going to remember all of that. So I broke it down into three things. When you walk onto the field, number one is scan. So before you ever receive the ball, know what you're going to do with it. Know where your teammates are, know where the opponent is. The second is hit the ball with purpose. So if you're going to make a pass, make a pass. If you're going to make take a shot, drive through the ball and, and hit. And the third is every time you're on the field, make a difference. That doesn't mean that you... Um, you're playing defense and, and you stop a goal, it means that if your teammate goes down, go help them up. If uh, the opponent goes down, go help them up. You have an opportunity every time to make a difference, whether it's increasing the energy on the field or it's calming things down, but you have that opportunity. When they finished playing soccer, I, I had the same conversation with them. I said, same three principles apply in your life. So scan means know the environment that you're in. If you're in a business setting, understand the and orient yourself to what's happening in, in, the, um, in the market that you exist in. So from, you know, what are your clients doing? What is the technology evolution? What are your competitors doing? But understand that environment. Hit the ball with purpose in the rest of your life means do things with intention. Everything, whether it's saying hi to the person, or to, to your server at a restaurant, actually engage in a conversation, or a friend needs help, actually go and help, but do everything with intention. And then the third is make a difference. You can make a difference every day in your life. And it's small things. There's a lot of people that are, are invisible in the world, whether it's the attendant at the gas station. How many people actually say hi to him or her, right? Actually take that effort and, and make a difference. And it's amazing what the returns are. Yeah. I remember from the first time we met, you mentioned the OODA loop, which yep. I believe is kind of the scanning. And you also mentioned how a gas attendant was able to recognize you with your mask on after not seeing them for a few years. So you, I heard of like the incredible payoffs that um, these simple actions can do. Do you have any models that you follow in your life? Do you have anything that you wake up and repeat to yourself? Or are these things like small things that you pick up and uh, learn to apply day by day? So there, there's two things. One is, uh, I was very, very sick at 19. So I was in second year of university. I, uh, you know, finished, I guess it was second year of engineering. And that summer I got very sick and I ended up being paralyzed from the neck down. And I worked incredibly hard to recover from that. So I wake up every morning and the fact that I can stand, that's a win. So my, my, um, 
expectations, my perspective on things is really simple. The fact that I can stand, that's awesome. Everything else is a walk in the park. Whatever stresses that I experience or challenges I experience or wins that I experience are all just a walk in the park compared to what I've experienced from a health perspective. So, yeah, no, I, I don't do anything particular. I'm just thankful every morning. Hmm. Um, that's so interesting as well, because I know my dad's having big back pain problems right now, and he's like almost emulating the same thing to where health is really the, the fundamental thing. But I find it so interesting how humans, you almost need something taken away from you to realize how valuable it is. I don't know if you even absolutely. still have that to this day. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely true. And there are a lot of people that go through life that never experience that challenge. Um, my my 24-year-old son, um, you know, about four or five years ago, was really struggling with anxiety and depression. And it was a really, really dark time for him. And we worked so hard, um, you know, through therapy and a, and a number of other things. And as he's come out of all of that, we sat down and I said, you have to be incredibly thankful for that experience. And he's like, really? Like, it was awful. I said, no, but you have now built the tools that can guide you for the rest of your life. It's inevitable. As you get older, something catastrophic is going to happen in your life, whether it's your own health issues, it's, you know, uh, your relationship falls apart, something happens with your kids, but that generally happens, you know, I'd say between 35 and 50. And if you don't have the tools to help you get through that period of your life, it's catastrophic for everybody around you. It's catastrophic to your job, to your partner, to your kids, to your parents, to your siblings. It becomes a huge issue. So I said to, to my son that, you know, you're lucky to know how to deal with that or at least have the tools to be able to deal with that because something's going to happen again you're just more experienced now so that it won't be catastrophic at 45 years old and it won't impact every part of your life. So learn from every experience that you, you engage in and, and take away from that tools that help you address that, that issue again, when it does pop up. And I do really want to, I completely agree. And I really do want to go back to, the second point of the soccer analogy of being intentful, because um, you wouldn't know this, but when I heard that from you, that completely like changed my perspective. And at the simplest things, like just saying how 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 are you to the cashier Absolutely. when I go to Tim Hortons, but being but saying it intentionally, yep. like the reaction and response I've been getting from like a cashier is it's so phenomenal. And then when you realize that, and then you start paying attention to other people. You realize that other people don't even bother asking how somebody is. Right. Well, it's, um, so yeah, a, a big part of that, I believe, is the, the focus that we have on our phones. Mm. Everywhere you go, somebody's looking at a screen. You know, what's really... Uh, I used to love... Um, one of my very closest friends um, owned a cabin just south of a Soyuz in Washington State. 
And August long weekend, we have a big party down there. And I used to ride my motorcycle to uh, uh, down there for the weekend. And the beauty of the place was there was no cell coverage and no internet. Mm. And it was amazing. Like I would park my bike. I would get off, helmet off, start taking off my jacket, my riding pants. Uh, one of the kids would hand me a beer and I would go sit down by the, by the lake and it took about 30 minutes. And knowing that for the next three days, no one can get a hold of me. I have no idea what's happening in the rest of the world. It's incredibly liberating to completely disconnect and just be present in where it is you are. And that requires you to engage in a conversation with others. But so much of what I see right now is that people are fixated on their phones everywhere you go, right? You're walking down the street, you're on your phone. You're sitting at the bus stop, you're on your phone. You're in a restaurant, you're on your phone. I've watched a family of four have dinner, not speak a word to each other, and all four of them are on their phones. Yeah. Let, let's remember that human interaction is really important. If you want to build anything, you need other people to help you do that, right? And that and building the culture within the organization that you're trying to uh, either work at or create, it's about those human interactions that matter. Yeah, I can definitely um, understand your point. I went camping as well uh, earlier this month and without any cell coverage, it definitely deepened the relationship and how much you truly interact with one another. I'm wondering, how does your company kind of uh, build your work culture so there's more human connections and less cell phone use? <laughs> so <laughs> it's good. that's a good question. Um, we've had to do it in a very strange way. So our company launched in March of 2020, like March 1st. And on the 13th, it all fell apart, right? Like everything got shut down. So we've built this entire organization virtually. We don't have an office. Everybody works remotely. But the team that we assembled, my executive team are people that I've known and worked with and trust for the last 20 years. So the, the executive team are really good friends. We see each other personally, uh, socially, but we don't see each other um, in a work setting, live at, mm. at least. Uh, but what that enables us to do is, because there's trust at that level, we can extend that down to the rest of the teams. Like my CTO, when he joined, brought his whole dev team that has been a part of his group for 15 years. So we didn't have to build a lot of um, uh, processes around building culture because that already existed. And we've just very slowly, organically grown the business. So I think we're at about 20 or 21 people now. Um, but you can get a lot done through conversations online. It's just about making sure that it's authentic and it's real. I think a big challenge for for larger organizations is the implementation of technology and the remoteness of especially a younger uh, uh, employee. 
feeling connected into the organization. And that's why I do believe that we should go back to working in offices, maybe not full time, but definitely two or three days a week. And it's yeah. kind of funny how it, it all, it all goes back because you look at be intentful and being intentful means you have to be able to listen properly. And when you listen to people properly, that's when that trust builds. So it's funny how it, it kind of all circles back to that, you know, being intentful. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Brandon, you want to, you want to. Yeah. Uh, I've so as a tradition on this podcast, the very last question we asked <laughs> is for your thought on a quote that was left by the previous guest. And I believe this quote kind of ties in what we uh, we're talking about pretty well. And the quote goes, when you cannot control things around you, focus on controlling how you respond or react to things, because that is a constant while others vary. Hmm. Can you say that again? Yeah. When you cannot control things around you, focus on controlling how you respond or react to things, because that is a constant while others varies. That's an interesting quote. Um, so for me, I love living in the world of chaos. I, I don't mm. believe that we can control anything outside of our own reactions. So I, I think living in a world that you know, markets are evolving, technologies evolving, expectations are evolving. Um, I think that's fascinating. I, I think it's super cool to live in that world and constantly adjust towards that. But I, I 100% agree that the only thing that you can control is how you react to that, that environment. It's hard. Like, there's a lot of people that struggle with. Um, a really chaotic environment. Part of it, what we look for within our own organization is ensuring that we create the environment that enables an employee to be successful. So it's living in startup world is not for everybody. If you want a stable job and you know, you're going to stay there for the next 20 years, don't go into a startup and don't try to start up a company. Like that's just not your world. But that chaos, and, and I guess this goes back to my engineering background, that chaos requires you to come up with solutions really, really quickly. You need to solve problems really quickly. And that's what we focus on. And that's particularly I focus on. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Wisdom has been of great value. Excellent. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode. As a growing channel, it would be so amazing if you would take one more minute of your day to reshare this episode on any platform you're liking. Hope to see you next week.